Saturday night. Man, it's nothing Hey everybody, this is episode two of season two of the 2-0-Y-N-O podcast. In this show, I'm joined by Haley Mender. She was a blast to chat with and I loved hearing her story. She's an Idaho girl who has learned about wine from all over the world and worked in all different levels of the industry. She is the owner, along with her husband, and winemaker of her own wine company called 3100 Cellars. And I'm so happy that I was able to connect with her, and I can't wait to see what she does next. You should be watching out for 3100 Cellars. They are going to be creating some seriously cool sparkling wines. Check her out. Hey, winos. Today I'm talking with Haley Mender of 3100 Cellars, where she's the owner and winemaker. Hi, Haley. Hi. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm so excited for you to be on the show um, and learn all the things from you. (laughs) So I can't wait to dive into our conversation. Um, But let's just go ahead and start at the beginning. You're an Idaho native, right? That's right. So where did you grow up? In Caldwell. <laughs> yeah, just over the river from you. <laughs> well, more in town. You see, but... <laughs> you see, chick. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm, I, I want to point out that you pronounced my last name correctly. It's Minder. A lot of people yeah. say Minder. And that's because you <laughs> actually know my husband's family from one, uh, 2A, like Adams yes. County, <laughs> growing yes. up up in council. So yeah, you, it's so you awesome. know everyone. So yeah, <laughs> very small town. <laughs> It is. Yeah. Um, but what, so was your family into wine? Like how did you kind of get interested in wine? Like what was your introduction? My introduction, um, I went, I did some of my high school and college in Europe and I think just like drinking wine there, um, and experiencing kind of like wine is such a part of everyday life like you'll be walking along and there's vineyards and there's a winery and there's just it's so normal yeah it's it's like ingrained in their culture right right so seeing it there whereas here there's like regions or there's you know areas that that excel in that um was my introduction but then when I graduated from college it was the height of the great recession I couldn't find a job but I had saved a bunch of money from from nannying and babysitting in college. So I actually bought a ticket to go to Italy and I um, woofed its worldwide opportunities on organic farms in um, uh, near Ancona, Italy. It's kind of the bigger city. Okay. And um, at a sparkling winery and vineyard there and just helped her for about a month in the vineyard and the winery doing everything. Some days she'd be like, I don't feel like working today. It's rainy. So we're just going to go to the next town over and go to the museum. I haven't been there in a while. And it was like, I could live this life. Yeah. That sounds <laughs> Not great. realizing that she was also working extremely hard behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that was my introduction. So you kind of got to learn like a little bit of everything doing that. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was just for a month, but it definitely okay. like, gave me this taste of, oh my gosh, this is so cool to see something come from the ground. And I was there in the, in the wind, early spring, winter. Mm-hmm. And so like the vines don't look like they're doing anything. They, right. They're dormant. 
and and then to like know like wow this wine is coming from this plant and like it's this whole cycle and Mm -hmm. and her practices were very like organic and um so it was just an amazing experience to realize that that was possible even from somebody that was kind of not even thinking about making an artisan product just like in academia (laughs) Uh So when you were in college, uh, what did you study? Because I feel like the winemakers that I have talked to, a lot of them have had some sort of chemistry or science mm-hmm. background. Um, so I yeah. just was interested. <laughs> no, I, I, my uh, lab credit in college was field paleontology of Oregon. Like I had oh. no science. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I studied international affairs and religious studies and loved both of them. Um, I uh, still am very fascinated by both things, especially mm-hmm. the religious studies aspect. Um, it was not, uh, a lot of people hear religious studies and they think, oh, you wanted to become a minister. And that's <laughs> right. not, I was more like studying the, um, sociology of religion. Okay. Um, so kind of a very different, like why people and the psychology as well a little bit, but why people want to be parts of religious communities or, um, why they thrive, why they don't that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And that still fascinates me. <laughs> so where did kind of your, um, well, I guess what happened next, like when you came back, how, how'd you end up back mm-hmm. in Idaho, I guess? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. I got into it over in Italy. I was only there for a month. I came back still the great recession. Like my mom thought that I was just like sitting and eating bonbons all day. And I was like, I applied to 12 <laughs> jobs. So she was like, you need to just go in. You need to like, so it was a, it's a good, um, I lived at home and I started, um, teaching of all things. Like I was a substitute teacher and then a okay. one-on-one, but, um, in that process, my mom also was introduced to a neighbor was having, um, dinner with friends and they were like, Oh, come over. We want, we want you to, to meet our friends. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm a winemaker in Walla Walla. And my mom said, Oh my gosh, will you please give my daughter a job? <laughs> <laughs> So thank you, mom. <laughs> Always looking at desperation. Out for me. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I need to get her out of my house. No, I wasn't living at home at that point. But um, but yeah, so I called him, which I was, you know, just out of college. I was not super I, I was pretty timid. And um, but I called him and said, I you met my mom. She said you might know some people or be willing to give me a job. And he said, Yeah, come on over and I'll get you some interviews. So uh, I went to Walla Walla, interviewed. Um, he, the interview that he got me was that um, Leonetti Doubleback and Figgins. At the time, Chris Figgins was making okay. the wine for Leonetti, obviously, um, his family business. And then had started Figgins, was a couple years into Figgins. And um, he was all, still making Drew Bledsoe's wine for Doubleback. So oh, I got okay. a harvest position there, cool. which was amazing. And um that was so I interviewed in the spring, got the job, but it wasn't to start until like September. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, I'll keep teaching, doing whatever. And then I called Sean Boyd, who had got me that interview and said, I still have all summer. Please let me come and work for you. <laughs> I promise you won't be disappointed. You can I'll even work for free. And he said, I'm I'll pay you. Yeah. I mean, you'll be like an intern, but I'll pay you. <laughs> and uh that's so nice. He taught me so much. So yeah, he owns Roti Cellars and at the time Proletariat was his other brand that was taking off. And I think he makes a bunch of people's wines now. He helps people kind of make their wine, but he's not on the marketing side or, or maybe he is. I don't know. I haven't um, 
talk about his other projects. When you <laughs> were working, when you were working there, were you um, like helping in the tasting room or like doing things in the back? Like mostly in the back. Um, he had a, a tasting room staff already, or mm -hmm. a, at least one person that worked for him that kind of ran the tasting room. So I would help when they needed help in the tasting room. Um, but mostly he would show up and say, Hey, today I need you to top. Here's the stuff, go and have at it and make sure all the barrels get topped up. Mm -hmm. Um, and that kind of stuff. He also taught me how to drive a forklift, which I feel like. Oh, that's huge. Most, <laughs> yeah. Most people don't realize how much time winemakers actually spend on, on the forklift. forklift. Yeah. <laughs> when I worked at Talaya, um, I would tell people like, oh yeah. I'm just the forklift driver. Like, I don't really know anything that's going on, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I meant I'm helping in the winemaking. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's where I got back. I really got started in the wine industry in the Walla Walla mm -hmm. area. Um, but at that time I had started dating Marshall, who, you know, and he said, I'm not moving to Walla Walla. There's no snow there in the wintertime. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to so, work. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, come on, it's so great. The blues are right here. You could snowmobile in the blues. And he was yeah. like, no, hell no. <laughs> so um, I ended up, I said, okay, well, I guess, you know, I'll move back to Boise or wherever and mm -hmm. just kept kind of trying to get into the wine industry and finally I got a call from a friend of a friend of a friend basically that said I heard you might be interested in a position and I said yeah definitely uh, I'll do whatever and that mm -hmm. was um, at Talaya so I got a job there worked there for almost eight years almost it's been just over a year now that uh, so and at the end of 2020 I um, finished up my tenure there because I like you had had couple kids had my own business was trying to like help with the vineyard yeah, that my there's only so many things you can yeah, do <laughs> totally it's like something eventually has to give so that thing and it was a very planned thing with Earl and Carrie at Talaya Wine Company it was it was something that we had talked about and decided together was mm -hmm. the right path for me so it was awesome to That's be so supported nice. in that way mm -hmm. yeah definitely um so as far as in your like learning winemaking was a lot of that experience from Earl and Carrie? Yeah, yeah, a ton of it was. Um, I would say I had a really good, um, Sean in Walla Walla uh, was really good at just saying, I need you to do this today, showing me kind of how to do it and then stepping away and letting me figure it out. So mm -hmm. there was a ton that I learned from him because I was like, well, I guess I just got to do Work it through this yeah <laughs> I guess I gotta figure out how to drive the forklift I've never done that before yeah. <laughs> um but that was almost and for me at least my personality was the best way to learn some of those things um and then um when I got to Boise um Earl and Carrie from Talaya were at the time making all of their wine and had their tasting room in the same building as Cinder oh yeah uh -huh. and yeah so it used to be like this collective so there was Cinder um Coiled, Talaya, and then a, the wine lab and education um, house of wine, which I think has a different name now, but I'm not sure. And they, so that was huge being able to be around all those people that were making wine and doing wine things and tasting wine, and everybody kind of had their different way of doing things. So being able to yeah. see different ways of doing it and mm -hmm. then taking, like, taking what would work for us and, and doing that was huge. Yeah. So at what point did you kind of have the idea that you might want to do something yourself? Um, we 
Marshall and I, uh, I think it was in 2013. Uh, it must've been in 2013. I was, so I had only been working at Talia for like six months and we finished up harvest and you never really know when you're going to finish. <laughs> so it happened <laughs> yeah. to be the week, the week of Halloween and Earl and Carrie said, take the weekend off, like take a long weekend. We've been working hard. Everything's in barrel, go relax. So mm -hmm. I had a three day weekend. Marshall had just finished at the time he was still river guiding. So he had finished his season. Oh, okay. And he said, let's go do Hell's Canyon. Let's go like just be in Hell's Canyon for the weekend. And I was like, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> so in that, that weekend, we, it was Halloween and Hell's. And we um, <laughs> talked about like, I was doing what I loved. He was doing what he loved. And maybe we should try to make our own wine. And like, what would that look like? And what would it be? And the next year in 2014, we bought our first ton of fruit. So it was the winter, uh, not winter, fall of 2013, Halloween and Hells. And we uh -huh. decided let's start making our own That's wine. That's so cool. So was wine, uh, was Marshall into wine also, or did you kind of introduce <laughs> him to it? Like, yeah, he was into beer <laughs> and gin and tonic. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But he was very appreciative. Like at first he thought it was ridiculous. Like he's like, oh my God, I'm dating this wine girl. Like, ugh, I'm going to have to like break her of this habit. Uh -huh. And then once I broke it down for him, like, it's not just this snobby thing. Like I'm fine. Like I can drink a $12 bottle of wine as long as it's good. It's just like yeah, you can yeah. drink a drink cheap gin as long as it's good. Like it's, there's a, just a balance. <laughs> and so yeah, once he yeah. figured that out. And he figured out that a lot of wine was about farming, um, which mm -hmm. his family is in farming. Like he appreciated wine right. way more. And right. now that's he's the side of it. Of the business. That's the side of it that I enjoy so much too, is like, there's so yeah. many different aspects. It's kind of like, there is something for everybody, but like you said, when you see the starting product and how it's just like, I mean, literally it's just vines in the ground, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, but then when you like, break it all down it's like what kind of soil is there and like mm -hmm. all of those things that yeah. end up bringing you to the end product that is like can be something so amazing but that's where right. it starts it's yeah so just those little things in the ground that look dead for part of the year <laughs> <laughs> are you okay <laughs> right are you gonna make it <laughs> um so then like, when you guys decided to do this um what kind of drew you to going in the sparkling wine direction? The place that I worked in Italy where I kind of got my start uh, was uh, a Spumanti vineyard and winery. Her, her last name is Peruzzi and her dad started the company. So Peruzzi Spumanti and she makes all sparkling. So okay. I initially was like, oh, sparkling wine, you know, mm -hmm. and this kind of comes back to my, like how I got into it. But then on the practical side, Marshall and I really started talking about it and we were like, nobody else is making sparkling. Oh, uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It makes yeah. you like a real pioneer. Like <laughs> which I was not that wasn't part that wasn't why I wanted to do it. But I just was like, well, this would be fun and exciting. And like the first thing, you know, when if you like Google, like I want to start my own business and like look at the like top 10 things or whatever, everybody always asks what sets you apart. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, well, if we make sparkling wine, that's what will set us apart. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of an easy, it's something that we were both interested in and passionate about the bubbles, mm -hmm. but then also the business side of it's an easy way to differentiate right. ourselves. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
So then like the next step, like naming your, your wine company, like it's always so challenging. Um, but tell us how you came up with, uh, your name. So for the first, I think two, maybe three vintages, I think for the first three vintages. Yeah. So we started in 2014. Um, and then, so that year, 2014, 15, 16, we had a piece of tape on our tank that we had purchased to make our wine in that said mm-hmm. no name winery because we couldn't <laughs> figure out a name. <laughs> uh-huh. So it literally, I, I, we had all these ideas and we kept kicking things around. Like, mm-hmm. like we would, I would be like, that's a great idea. And then we'd live it with it for a couple weeks and be like, I don't like it anymore. It's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we actually had sticky notes on our kitchen wall for a good six months to a year. Like we, we literally needed to like file our paperwork so we could get everything good with the government so we could start selling our wine. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, we need to come up with a name. We have to. (laughs) So we had all these sticky notes and like a couple different, you know, 3100 is what we ended up with. So that was on one of them. I don't even remember what was on the others. Like, Mm -hmm. but, um, the others said things like sellers, wine company, winery, um, things like that. And so we kept kind of switching them around and saying mm-hmm. like 3,100 wine company. That's good. Like, I don't hate that. 3,100 yeah. vineyard and wines, like, mm, don't like that as much. And then 3,100 sellers stuck up there for a couple of weeks and we started calling it 3,100. And then that was kind of when we knew it had stuff that was gonna so be like it 3100 <laughs> yeah and that was just a fluke we had we had those sticky notes up for a couple of weeks if not months before 3100 even entered the conversation I was reading um an Idaho river book and it said there are over 3100 whitewater river miles in the state of Idaho and I said that's kind of a cool like that's numbers like a, are kind of cool yeah like it's, an, it's like a good that. fact <laughs> yeah and so and that was totally part of our story like we met on the middle fork we decided to start making wine while we were in hell's canyon so yeah it's been like a big part of your journey and and completely kind of has something to do with both of you so yeah really cool totally not to mention so many people that even before they know our story if i say that there's over 3,100 whitewater river miles in idaho they're like oh and like the terroir yeah the terroir of the wine and I'm like yeah it, it does like the river canyons do affect the terroir of the wine mm-hmm. yeah going along with um your sparkling wine how um specifically how did you pick what style you wanted to do because there's different styles of right. making um sparkling wine or you know mm-hmm. Champagne is called. Yes. <laughs> I heard, I read a really great thing the other day and I, I had never thought of it like this, but I love it. Somebody suggested that we start calling it champagne, big C and champagne, little C like uppercase. And, oh. uppercase. and mm-hmm. I was like, that is genius. Yes. That is yeah. what we should do. <laughs> we should do I that. Think, I don't think the champagne region would uh, really no. be good with that. <laughs> I mean, they should be like, we're naming it after them and sparkling wine was around before them. They just, happened to perfect a lot of it but (laughs) coined it (laughs) um, yeah but uh so anyway so we decided to start making the style of wine that we do by um re-fermenting in bottles so very similar to the like the champagne method um because one we didn't have the infrastructure to buy a bunch of equipment to make it by force carbonating Mm -hmm. um and two we 
prefer um, when as drinkers, we prefer the stuff that's aged um, in bottle like champagne is. Mm -hmm. um, and then we kind of took a left turn from what most people know champagne for, which is like non-vintage. There's a bunch of um, blending involved. Mm -hmm. um, unless you know a lot about grower champagne. Um, so we're more like the grower champagne style or like a cross between sparkling wine from champagne and maybe like Bordeaux or Burgundy where we're looking at like um, where the wine is coming from, like where the grapes are coming from. We don't blend between vintages or between vineyards um, okay. because we feel like each space and each vintage is going to have a distinct personality and a distinct flavor. So mm -hmm. we want to keep those um, intact. intact and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, and I mean, never say never. I, sh I, those are big words. And right. I, who knows? Um, you know, you have a, a horrible winter and you lose half your crop, maybe that year will blend. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. That's but the that's other, awesome. that's the other farming thing that comes in. Like there's yeah. always like variables that can be thrown in there. Completely. Yeah, always being flexible is, yes. <laughs> is very important. Um, and so this is a question that I've heard um, asked to a few winemakers, and it's something I just thought maybe I'd ask you. In your opinion, do you consider winemaking an art or a craft? I'm like, there's no way to answer that. I know. Everybody <laughs> happy. <laughs> so I would say... Um, it's definitely both. And there's also like, so I'm assuming craft kind of encompasses that science um, behind it. So there's a way to have a recipe to make wine, um, but you're not going to have a necessarily transcendent experience with one of those wines that's just like ticking the boxes. Like there's something about being able to taste something or um uh, feel like something in the mouth feel as a winemaker and be like, that's that we need more of that. So we're going to pick the grapes now, or we're going to halt the fermentation. So there's a little bit of sugar left. Or, so there is this like innate thing that once you have tasted a lot and, and made a lot of wine, you can kind of start art side of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that any artist that's really being honest <laughs> will tell you that art starts with craft. Like you have to you have to go to work and put in the hours and, and just paint and paint and paint before you can really understand like how to translate what your, your vision is as an artist into art rather than just practice. Right. And then like, those are, that's the way that then you start to make it yours and you differentiate from yeah. like essentially the recipe. Yes, exactly. And I always tell people that winemakers, um, are really, most winemakers have just like, they go through their steps of what they know works, but no matter how clean you are and how precise you are, you're always going to have weird things that happen. And it's how you deal with those outliers or those oopsies that really proves if you're a good winemaker and yeah, totally. you, you understand your craft or your art. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, so where are you sourcing your fruit from? It's all Idaho fruit, right? That's right. When we decided to start making wine, we talked, well, I was in the wine industry and, and a lot of people were bringing wine over from Washington and a little bit from Oregon. 
and we talked about the fact that our name is 3100 sellers and it's about the number of Idaho River mile whitewater miles that we have and so we were like we we've got to like even if we aren't able to get fruit contracts we've got to commit to Idaho that's mm-hmm. just got to be part of our story so all Idaho fruit we mostly source from the Snake River Valley um, we've worked with Ron Bittner okay. and uh, most of our commercially available wines have been Ron Bittner's up to this point. Last year, we released a rosé that was from J. Victor Vineyards, or, um, sorry, um, that's their old name, um, Linnae Ridge, um, oh, which okay. is up above. It's just up the hill from um, Koenig, okay, the yeah. um, Koenig Winery. Uh, so that was a fluke, and we were able to get that fruit. Uh, we haven't been able to work with him again because all of the fruit is spoken for. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe in the future we will, but we'll see. So are you um, trying and, to, are you trying to get contracts or are you just kind of waiting and seeing if there's excess or? No. So we do have fruit contracts. So we actually have transitioned to working with Sawtooth and Skyline Vineyards and they're, okay. they're the biggest vineyard um, right. management in the state. Um, and so once we switched over to that and we had an actual contract, we um, don't work with Ron anymore um, because we just kind of we did we're so small and young like it's also a numbers game of like we can't we gotta pick and choose we can't just do everything yet Mm -hmm. um hopefully in another handful of years we'll be able to every time somebody says I've got some fruit we'll say yes I don't care what it is I'll take it (laughs) (laughs) um so um and then four or five years ago my parents uh about five years ago they bought a piece of property in the Eagle Foothills and like a year later the Eagle Foothills AVA was established and they right. had bought the property planning to plant it. And then it was like fortuitous that the Eagle Foothills AVA was actually a thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so now that's our estate vineyard um, in the Eagle Foothills. And it's just, oh, cool. just on the like town side of the foothills. It's not back where Three Horse Ranch is, which is the bigger, the biggest um, right. Over there. winery in the AVA. Yeah. So how much, um, how much land do you have there? How many acres, I guess? Um, it's 10 acres, uh, but only five is planted right now. And I think we'll hopefully, you know, 10, 15 years um, plan, maybe plant the other, another three, uh, but not all of it is really suitable for planting. Some of it's a little mm-hmm. steep to work and um, there's a ravine that runs through the, the mm-hmm. property, which is great for cold air drainage, um, but not so great for working conditions and some of it. Uh, what varietals have you planted? We have Chardonnay mostly, uh, about three acres of Chardonnay. Syrah, which is what we started out making our rosé with. Now Ooh, we make cool. um, a couple, yeah, a couple other rosés that are super fun. And we planted Malvasia Bianca, um, which is a Croatian varietal that is supposedly cold hardy and also um, drought tolerant. So we thought, well, let's try Oh, this wow. Out. Yeah, um, that might work out great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So far it's done super well and we really like it. It's a kind of different, very floral varietal, not, um, yeah, not something that, that sounds really good in a often. sparkling version. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we're excited. We made our first, um, batch of that this year and we made it into the general funk, which is kind of, we call it now our homestead style, which some people call pet nat, some people call ancestral method, there's all, you know, you're in it, but for any of your listeners that, yeah, don't, they're like nobody, even though there's all these terms in wine, sometimes people can't agree what they actually mean. So we just started calling ours homestead style because it fits with the river theme and <laughs> it 
uh, there's no rules attached to it. Really. Yeah. <laughs> like we, we try to bottle it while it's fermenting and yeah. then that's where we get the bubbles rather than adding sugar and yeast after it's finished fermenting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also is typically a little cloudy and it's meant to be, um, consumed young rather than aging. Most of our wines are, are aged and then disgorged. So we get the yeast out of it to share with people. But right. in this case, it's not, it's supposed to be consumed young. Cool. Um, so how much, um, as far as like your growth from the beginning in 2014, um, how has your sort of production grown or I guess how much were you producing in the beginning and where are you now? Right. First year we produced about, uh, it was just under 50 cases and this year, um, we produced just over a thousand cases. Oh yeah. So so that's a large mm-hmm. amount of growth in yeah, so seven years, right? Yeah. Or seven years, six years. <laughs> um, and we um are not like our um estate vineyard in the Eagle Foothills isn't at full capacity. So we're hoping hoping in the next year, two years, we'll we'll keep growing to about fifteen hundred cases um without adding any other vineyards. Um and if we end up adding other vineyards, then it'll be even bigger. Yeah. That's so exciting. Yeah. Where are you storing your wine? Do you have your own place? I guess we don't. <laughs> not. I mean, we hope to. We actually, um, we have a uh, Ada County public hearing um, oh, okay. at a conditional use to use the shop at the vineyard as our um, as a winery. Um, but right now we rent space from Talia. So I'm still like, mm-hmm. when it was my last day working at Talia, everybody was like, we're so sad. And I was like, you guys, literally, I'm going to be here tomorrow yeah. <laughs> working on my wine. <laughs> so it was an easy-ish transition. Like it was because I was just there all the time getting to see everybody. You're just still lingering. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, and it's all the same equipment as if it wasn't like, a, oh my gosh, now I have to relearn everything. So it was it was, I'm so lucky that Earl and Carrie have uh, worked with us. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome that you, you had such a good relationship there and they're willing to help you out as much as possible. Right. Yeah. We're very lucky. Well, can you tell everybody where they can find you? And then also I want you to bring up your wine club. Yeah, we, most of our wines go to direct, direct to consumer through our wine club. Um, that's also the best way to like, um, stay in the loop about, uh, when we release wines, our general funk that we'll be releasing in a couple of weeks, hopefully, um, is so such a small lot that I think it'll sell out to wine mm-hmm. club. Um, so, um, that's the size that we're at. We're still pretty small and things are mm-hmm. selling mostly to our wine club, but you can buy things on our website. We can ship to a couple of States. Um, but not everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And, um, if you're in Boise and you want to taste the, or not necessarily taste them, um, but, um, buy them just off of a shelf. The Boise co-op wine shop, um, has them available. And, um, there's a couple restaurants and stuff that do like Petite Four, um, has our Eddie out on Mm -hmm. this winter. And, um, typically, um, if you're in Meridian, you can go to a new vintage wine shop and she usually has, um, Eileen usually has a couple of bottles of everything that we have in stock. Oh, and then our wine club is um, pretty standard. We've got uh, 12 bottles twice a year. So we do our allotments twice a year. So we've got 12 bottles twice a year and you always get to pick your allotment at that level. So if you love the white water, you can get a case of white water. If you hate the white water and you want only rosé, you can get rosé. 
and then we have six bottles twice a year and three bottles twice a year. And the six bottles and three bottles, we try to let you have your choice, but um, sometimes it just depends on how much wine we have available. Yeah. Um, so the, that's not, it's not guaranteed that you'll get your choice, but we try. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So I also, I know that you have your own podcast. Um, <laughs> I, what, what made you um, want to jump on that project? My best friend from Caldwell, um, it, she now is an ecologist and lives in Portland. And uh, I mean, we're good friends, so we call each other about lots of things, but her being an ecologist, I was calling her these last couple of years and being like, we have this thing at the vineyard. I need some ideas from you about how to deal with it. Or, um, you know, we want to plant something native where we have runoff problems. What do you think? Uh -huh. um, and so she was giving me all these ideas and we were talking a lot about the vineyard and things like that. And then she actually um, did her M uh, not MBA, her master's, um, a couple of years ago. And so while she was in between things, she took a seller hand position. So she was calling me and being like, oh, in the seller, when this happens, what does that mean? <laughs> or <laughs> I read this on a label of wine. Why do people say that? Um, and she called me in the end, at the beginning of 2020 and was like, I want to start a podcast with you. Like I'm calling you and asking all these questions. You're calling me and asking me all these questions. I think we could like record it and then publish it. And uh -huh. I was like, I, I'm pregnant. I have a full-time <laughs> job. Uh, I have an, a toddler. Like, yeah. Uh, and I also have this thing that I'm trying to make work uh, called 3,100 sellers. Like I know I, I had nothing <laughs> giving in my life right now. <laughs> and she was like, okay. And then a couple months later, she brought it up again and again. And I finally said, talk to me in January of 2021 when I'm, I'm going to be done at Talaya. Maybe I'll make room for it. Yeah. And she just, she was really convincing. She was like, no, I really think there's value in these conversations that we're having. And so I think there are other people that will find value and interest in them and learn from them. So we just started recording some of the conversations we had, which then turned into, we need to have a little more structure. We can't just have these ambling conversations. Right. And now we have whole cluster conversation um, where we talk about um, kind of wine from the vineyard basically all the way to the bottle and try to um, use it. I like to think of it as a place where people that are getting into the wine industry, especially um, starting in the production side or mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily the vineyard side, we don't talk about super particular vineyard stuff, but anybody that's trying to understand more about how wine is made, it's a great podcast for them to listen to. Mm -hmm. And that includes people like in a tasting room that are giving tours to be able to say, here's our barrels and here's what you need to know about them or, you know, that kind of right. thing as well. It's yeah. Not just, just having a greater understanding of that piece. Right. Right. The whole picture. <laughs> right. Exactly. So I think that's really who we're trying to talk to. Um, but yeah, and yeah. we have a good time doing it. We laugh a lot and yeah. <laughs> um, so I like to wrap up my show with a random question, not wine related, but, um, yeah, just a fun question. So what is your go-to karaoke song? <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Now that I put on the spot, I'm going to forget what the name is. Um, <laughs> um, oh man. Well, um, I, I mean, nothing slow. I've been to plenty of karaoke nights where uh, it's a lot of slow cowboy uh, music, yeah. especially living in council for a little while. And I was like, no more okay. <laughs> love ballads, 
no more country love ballads, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I love um, anything that's upbeat and fun um, mm-hmm. and gets everybody up and dancing. It's always good. Yeah. Um, if I think of the name of the song, I'll, uh, I'll shoot it to you and you can <laughs> put it in the show notes or something. But <laughs> I think if I'm in a, in a pinch, I'll usually just go with don't stop believing, which I feel like is like, oh, yeah. everyone's <laughs> song. Heck yeah. That's so a like, great I one. know I, I don't need to look at the words. <laughs> right. That's so true. Yeah. I, well, the song that I like singing in the cellar when everybody is like, harvest mode and like grumpy and pouty and like I've been up too long and my body hurts um because in the cellar you don't have to listen to like things that they have to listen to in the tasting room like we get to listen to fun music (laughs) um but I love singing along to Gold Digger by Kanye West so that's a really that would be a good go-to for karaoke (laughs) (laughs) so Haley thank you so much for taking time to chat with me I really appreciate it um and so much this has been really fun I really appreciate what you're doing and trying to educate people about all kinds of different wines especially in our region yeah yeah I think it it deserves to be talked about and learned about so you guys listening check out Haley's wine thanks for listening with that cheers and peace out Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to help this podcast grow. You can follow me on Instagram at the 20wino podcast and on Facebook as the 20wino. Until next time, keep on drinking the good wine. Cheers.